The sun has left and forgotten me. It's dark, I cannot see. Your stories don't define you, but how you tell them will. Hi, I'm Sarah Elkins, your host and chief storymaker at Elkins Consulting. I'm so eager today to get started with my friend Tammy Hader. We met through a dear friend, Jeff Eichler, last year as she was writing her book. And listeners, we all know that our stories can contribute to how people perceive us. So putting it out there in a book, your personal stories, takes a lot of courage. And listeners, I am going to ask you to listen carefully so that you can uncover some of your own meaningful stories. And remember that if you start to collect those, it'll make it easier for your next interview. If you are curious about interviewing and how to share stories for that, there's a new course that we've created called Job Interview Storytelling. For more details, visit elkinsconsulting.com. Tammy, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm eager to get started in our conversation. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Well, I've been looking forward to it since we kind of interacted briefly last year Mm -hmm. when you were asking some questions about your book. And um, as you know, I love to get started by asking you to share something that most people don't know about you. And before we hit record, you said you have two things, one that's fun and entertaining and Mm -hmm. one that's more meaningful. I would say that they are both meaningful because the stories we tell mean a lot in terms of how people perceive us. So let's hear it. Okay. Well, we'll start with the one little, this is just a little tidbit of information about when I was a child that I don't think very many people know. And I'm not really exactly sure why it popped into my head. But I, I just suddenly remembered, <clears throat> I'm not sure how old I was either. It was, it was pretty small. And we had gone to a miniature golf course. It was the first time I had ever played. So the very first time I played, the very first hole, the first time I hit the ball, I made a hole in one. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Your family must have been freaking out. <laughs> yeah, the, the, <clears throat> we were with another family, and, <clears throat> and the, the dad was drinking something at the time, and he spit it out all over the fence. And, <laughs> and it was something that he liked to talk about all the time after that. <clears throat> oh, I love that. You must have been like five. I, I couldn't have been very old. Yeah. I, I remember doing it. So it was old enough to have a memory of it. And I, oh. you know, I'm not sure I ever did that again either. So that was going to be my next question. Was that prescient about your future as a golfer or not? <laughs> no. Most of the time it's just beginner's luck, right? Right, right. I have tried playing golf and it's very frustrating and I'm not good at it. Although I am better at putting than driving. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's perfect because think about it this way, even if you didn't really have the vivid memory, which you've developed over time, if you read the the research around our memories and the way we remember story, um, it has more to do with how other people tell that story that generates those images in our head that may or may not be accurate, but it doesn't really matter because Mm -hmm. it's the story. And how it mm-hmm. makes you feel and the story that other people are telling about you 
impact your identity. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I, re- I, I remember, you know, the, the man's reaction more than I remember my own reaction. Right. Yeah. I'm not surprised. So that's interesting. Because you were, you were just watching other people. Yeah. The, it, children generally are so um, self-absorbed that they're not noticing their own behavior. They're only noticing how people are reacting to them. Yeah. That, that's very true. Oh my gosh, I love that. I love that so much. <laughs> All right. So let's that is a meaningful story. Let's well, you know that okay, because it's it part is. of your identity, because it's part <clears throat> of the story. But um I would like to hear the story that you consider to be more meaningful. Okay. Um, something about me that a lot of people probably don't know is how often I am really afraid of things. Oh because I tend to I I don't know that I intentionally try to hide it well. But I just kind of, um, I see my fears as something that I'm responsible for conquering. So I kind of just keep it to myself and, and have an internal dialogue about it when it happens. And this started very early in life. And one of the incidents that I remember the most is when I was trying to learn how to water ski. And I was sitting on the edge of the boat <clears throat> getting ready to jump in. And, you know, contemplating jumping in and the adults around me were telling me, assuring me that the water's only going to be really cold when you first jump in. And after that, it's fine. Like they thought that's what I was contemplating. But it wasn't. I mean, I was not a strong swimmer. So I was kind of afraid of the water and things that live in the water totally freak me out. (laughs) I hear that. I have a friend like that, too. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go swimming with the dolphins or watching whales or anything like that. Those those things just freak me out. They just do. And when you're you're doing this in a in a Kansas lake, you can't see anything, you know, past you know about that far underwater. (laughs) Right. It is so muddy colored, and so you know things are down there, and you just can't see them. And so I was having to psych myself up to jump in. So I I got in. And I was really small, so I didn't put a lot of drag on the sh- on the the boat, so it didn't take much power for me to just pop right up. And the adults were all, "Oh, look at you! You're just popping right up out of the water!" Like I was some natural born skier, which I'm not. Mm-hmm. And and I I was just motivated to not be in the water. <laughs> so I was just popping right up and <laughs> so when I was sitting on the edge of the boat there I was I was not contemplating the temperature I was telling myself it's only going to be scary while you're in the water as soon as you're on top of the water everything will be fine wow and that's kind of the way I approach whatever is I'm fearful of, whether it's moving to a new town or changing a job or doing an interview on a podcast. (laughs) Getting into the water. Yeah. So I just tell myself that, that it's only going to be scary while I'm surrounded by the things I don't see. And Mm -hmm. once, I'm on top of that fear, everything will be fine. Which is so true because 
I heard this quote, fear is a liar. Oh. And every time I think about that, I'm like, that is so true because when I'm afraid, it's it's the things that are so unlikely to happen yeah. is what makes us afraid. And once we get started, we can see the things that we were afraid of and know that they're not that bad, right. that it, it's not the worst case scenario, or even if it is, it's still not as bad as our fear could lead us to believe. Right. Oh, and of I course, love that. I had no idea that I was going through that kind of thought process back then. Right, right. As a kid. Yeah. But now you do it with intention yeah, and you have all this evidence that you've faced your fears. So the next question is, do you think the people around you don't know that you're afraid? Is that a, a general perception? I, I think that's that's a pretty general perception. Yeah. I, I understand that too, because um, I was telling somebody right before I was performing for, uh, I, I'm a vocalist and I was performing with my band and I was saying that I was nervous. And she said, what? You're nervous? And I said, well, yeah. She said, you've been doing this a long time. I said, it's different every time. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know that I'm going to hit every note. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I'm going to remember my lyrics. I don't know that people are going to receive what I'm putting out there in a positive way. There, there's so many unknowns when you're getting up on stage. Mm-hmm. Is my band going to be able to keep up with me? Is somebody going to mess up? And am I going to hear my note and my cue and like all, all the things that could go wrong? And mm-hmm. she was really surprised because that same thing, like if you've been doing it a long time or if you have this success behind you, whatever that success is, you think it translates to no longer being afraid. And no, it doesn't. Uh-uh. not even a little bit. No. And I just, I don't really ask for help very often. And I think that's part of that too. Unless yeah. there's a spider in the room and there's, there's another <laughs> person around, then, then I'm going to say, would you kill this for me? <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. I don't think you're alone in that, Tammy. Oh, no. Well, this, this is really a good um, <clears throat> segue into publishing a book because um, I, we talked a little bit, your, your big launch was on uh, June 29th mm-hmm. and you had an event at the library and um, you said, of course, you were a little worried because you didn't know how many people were going to show up. It's the first mm-hmm. time the library had hosted this kind of event. And you brought me back to my memory of publishing the book, Your Stories Don't Define You, um, back in 2020 in May. And I was asked if I wanted to push it off and not publish on May 30th as my launch date, mm-hmm. or May 31st, I guess, because it was our anniversary. But um, I remember having nightmares, these exposure dreams that right. I couldn't find a bathroom and I had to go to the bathroom or I was taking a shower yeah. and there were no curtains and I'm suddenly very exposed and people are walking by and nobody seems to notice and I'm trying to cover up and like all that, that fear. And yeah. it wasn't until I started talking about it that people were like, oh my gosh, I would be terrified to put that out there. So tell me about this experience. Tell me a little bit about the book so that people have an idea of what this is about, because we've kind of (laughs) given little hints, but let's, let's Mm -hmm. go a little deeper here. Okay. So, I mean, how often have you heard people saying things like um, the world is just a meaner place than it used to be? Yeah. You hear hear people say that a lot. 
I've said it a lot. And during the pandemic shutdown, I had a particularly angry and frustrating moment um, when I went to the grocery store and I was just surrounded by all these inconsiderate behaviors and, and driving there and back was no better. And I could not wait to get home and close that garage door to separate me from all the mean people in the world. Mm-hmm. And then when I went to the bathroom to wash the potential contagion off my hands, I looked Thank in the goodness. mirror. Good hand yes. washing. Yay, Tammy. Yes. <laughs> yes. I really need to get back into doing that. <laughs> oh, I'm still doing it. I'm intensely. Oh, sometimes I forget yeah. after I come home from the grocery store and, and later I'm thinking, oh, I should have washed my hands immediately. Oh, yeah. I need to get back into doing that. Just a quick segue. My mom's a nurse and she's been doing a lot of reading about that. And she said even more than the masks, hand washing is the most effective way to stop virus and bacteria. And every time I travel, I'm like washing my hands like crazy and Mm -hmm. not not good. That little superstition, Um, even traveling back and forth to Europe, to Italy, washing my hands like that. My husband and I did not get sick. So yeah, there we go. All right. Little, little public health announcement. Right. So you're back in the, in the bathroom, you close the door, you look at, I look in the mirror and I see this very angry, ugly person looking back at me. And it just occurred to me that, that it was one of those mean people that I was trying to get away from was right here in the mirror. And I just didn't like what I saw. And I thought I need to make a change. And I started thinking about how my family and my hometown just, they didn't raise me to be unkind. So I thought, what better place to look for my lost benevolence than in the childhood memories that I had from my little hometown. So with my mom helping me, we headed down memory lane and started looking at some of the things that happened, the events and the role models that I had, because those were the things that made me that kind hearted person I used to be. And so I I found where my benevolence kind of sprang to life in that little town. And I'm not going to tell you where, because you have to read the book to (laughs) (laughs) kindness has a limit. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's not kindness. That's cultivating curiosity is different. There you go. There you go. That's cultivating curiosity. So that was kind of the premise of the book. And then there's then, you know, I said my mom helped me out with this. So there's an underlying thread that goes through all of the stories that is the relationship between mom and I as she was getting a little sicker you know, she's got some health issues that are just never going to go away. And, and so we started doing that swapping roles thing, right? That is just Mm -hmm. part of the circle of life. And, and so that is threaded throughout all of the stories. Mm. That sounds heartwarming and painful at the same time. Sort of. Um, You know, I think going through this process together helped us transition into the the new roles that we have mm-hmm. with each other. I, I would guess because we communicated a lot. Right. You know, so we were communicating a lot about memories from mm-hmm. our childhood 
And that just allowed us to keep talking about what was happening right now, too. Mm. And so we're, we're, I've noticed that it's, it's pretty easy for us to be open and honest about what's happening. Wow. There are so many lessons in that. Yeah. For, For everyone dealing with that transition from parent to child, child to parent. Mm-hmm. I, I was just thinking about you know, the conversations I've been having with my mom. And I do notice that when I talk about the legacy that she created in raising her three children with my dad, and every time I acknowledge how much influence she had and continues to have, um, mm-hmm. I, I do notice that she lets me in a little bit more about yeah. what's happening in her life at, at 76 years old. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I, think, I think it matters. And, you know, when, anytime you're looking back <clears throat> on things, you know, you're, there's going to be all kinds of emotions, you know, you've got happy things and, and you have sad things and regret, you know, and I think mm-hmm. regret is something that's always going to be there, but, but what I've kind of figured out, through this whole process is that you can, you can take that regret. And if you just own it and learn from it, then it kind of turns it into something a lot more special and meaningful and, and at times even something beautiful and, and gives you something that you can bond with each other over. Did you find ever that when you addressed regret, either your regret or your mother's regret, that the perspective was so different that Uh it helped reduce that regret because they, so, and I'm going to ask for a story about that. I, I know that there was a time I had a relationship or an issue in my relationship with one of my sons. And when I brought it up, when he graduated from high school, I said, this is my regret. And he said, mom, that's not how I see it at all. Yeah. And it just, gosh, it, it felt like such release and relief that my mm-hmm. regret, I was so afraid to talk about it because I didn't want him to remember it, <laughs> right? Like, I'm hoping that he kind of forgot, but um, <laughs> I felt really, I think we do, right? We hope that we yeah. can just let it go, but I was still holding on to it. And that's why I, I mentioned it to him. And I said, I have this regret and I'm sorry if it, I I know that I could have done this differently or better. So when was a situation, do you have a story that's related to that where the perspective was shifted? There was a, a story, it was uh, called Resurrection of a Sweet Memory in the book. And it's, can I just read part of it? Sure, absolutely. Okay. So it's pulling into the driveway of the simple little house on Lincoln Street. I see her silhouette through the sheer curtain panels that cover the inside of the window, north of the familiar pale gray concrete porch. The cycle of seasons visited over decades of time has scarred the rose trellis on the south side of the porch. The once brisk white paint has faded into the dingy peeling face of a weathered reminder of strength and beauty. Wood, concrete, and flesh grow old with the appearance of scratches, chips, and wrinkles on the surface to remind us of our position in time. Above the remains of a once beautiful flower bed, I see the dark image of a woman sitting in her favorite chair alone in a house once imbued with the magic of a purposeful life. The magic had died inside of me, not the house. And that person was my grandmother. And 
you know, it was just such a magical place when we were kids and we would hang out there and play and work in the garden and snap green beans and, and it was nothing really over the top or dramatic. It was just, she had a very practical house with very practical fun. And it, it's just a very fond place for me. And as I grew older, I just started to kind of retreat from that a little bit into my own world. Like we all do. Of course. I mean, we all do that. We all kind of push away from those kind of relationships as we're spreading our wings. And, and then when I was in college, you know, that's, that's kind of the time frame when I was in my early twenties, when I drove up there and I saw that and I think, wow, when did that change? Mm. You know, mm-hmm. and, and I regretted it, but you know, my grandma was just so practical. I, I knew that her perspective of it would have been completely different. You know, she mm-hmm. wouldn't have expected pity or guilt or anything from me. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like right there are three different perspectives of the same situation. Mm-hmm. Yours and as a child, yours as mm-hmm. a 20 something and your grandmother's. Yeah. Your time. Yeah. So it's the same moment in the timeline, mm-hmm. but you just see it differently. Right. And I saw, I, you know, really throughout the whole book, I was experiencing that kind of thing. In- right. Did you, do you think that your grandmother might actually be a little, might have been a little sad that you felt that regret? Like she would, mm-hmm. I know Maybe. If my, Maybe. If my children feel regret about something about me. That would make me sad. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want them to regret anything about our relationship. But I I know that that, that may be a unique perspective. I, yes. I know that generationally, obligation it, mm-hmm. is a thing. Yeah. And that's one thing I was going to say. She was from the, the greatest generation. Right. And they're just tough. They were just yeah. very, very tough. And you really didn't see her emotions that much. Right. But you knew. Right. You knew that her love was there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, I know some people are still kind of wrapped around the fact that they couldn't experience the love from their grandparents of that generation mm-hmm. in the same way that we do now or that our children do. Yeah, I don't. I guess I don't see that as a problem. you know I mean grandma was who she was supposed to be right and this was who she was and the way she exhibited her love I guess was just probably different Mm -hmm. because of her general generational characteristics right yeah right and how she was raised right were there any experiences where you were talking to your mother about your grandmother that you're mom was able to give you a slightly different perspective um or the opposite a story that your mom told about your grandmother that you had a different perspective of you know she really didn't tell me anything that I didn't kind of already know Mm. about her 
um, like if, if mom was doing something, mom was kind of a tomboy. So, you know, she, she never learned to sew the way grandma did and grandma would sew everything. And, but grandma never, you know, never belittled her about it or forced her to do it. Or, you know, she was just very practical, always very practical. So if mom was outside, she was just outside right. and she, um, she almost caught the house on fire once with some sparklers. Oh. Yeah. She wanted to see what, <laughs> if they would work in a closet. And <laughs> <laughs> they did. <laughs> I have to ask, what did your mom end up doing? Did she go to school and have a career or what did she, because that kind of curiosity leads me immediately to, well, did she end up being an engineer or? <laughs> <laughs> she didn't actually. She got married when she was 18. And and um, the first time that she lived alone, completely alone, was when dad died in 2017. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. she didn't, she, she was um, working in the school cafeteria for many years and was one of the co-managers of that for several years. But other than that, she's raised us kids and helped dad with his business ventures. And, wow. and I've, I always thought of her as just one of the strongest people that she could do whatever she set her mind to do. But she is, she she doesn't have a lot of confidence in herself, which is weird to me. <laughs> well, it comes back to the beginning of our conversation is how do we handle fear? Yeah. And um, it may be my experience with other people like this that are opposite from you, that they deal with fear by just powering through it and and choosing and and seeing it from that perspective of okay i've done something like this before i can do it again it's hard i can do hard things and then the people who um don't have confidence because they're constantly trying things that are just outside of their comfort zone uh-huh. and so they they never look at how far they've come because they're always looking ahead to the next thing that they're not good at yet ah interesting that's my mom I mean, yeah. uh, my mom, she has achiever in her top strengths and strengths finder. She has achiever. And so many people I know, especially women with achiever in their top strengths do that. They're constantly looking for the next thing to learn and to be good at, which means that they're constantly in a position of striving as opposed to actually achieving and recognizing that achievement. Uh-huh. That's interesting. I'm wondering if I'm one of those people. <laughs> well, um, you've heard of the imposter phenomenon. It's being mm-hmm. shifted from imposter syndrome because it's not a syndrome. And by the definition of the word syndrome, and there's a distinction here. So more people are going toward describing it as an imposter phenomenon. And okay. um, my cousin, Aaron, Dr. Aaron Balick in the UK, he's in London, did um, two videos, short videos about the imposter phenomenon. And one was exactly that. That's where I got the information. And then I started reading more about it because it was so fascinating. And that's when I started associating it with my clients and the people I've worked with, with Achiever and their top talents, is that we're always in a, I don't have Achiever, my top talents, but I have a similar 
attitude toward taking things on. Um, but those women with achiever and their top talents, they're constantly putting themselves into that next position of being uncomfortable because they're striving for the next goal, which means they're constantly in a place of striving, mm-hmm. which means that you never feel like you are the expert in the room. Right. Keep looking for the next thing to be an expert in. Yeah. So, um, and then the other thing he said was that the distinction is when somebody places all of the blame for perceived failure on themselves and the credit for successes on external environments. Yeah, that does sound like me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just kind of, I kind of felt like that last. Uh, um, on on June 29th when I did that book signing right. and I'm up there talking to this group of people and and I'm just wondering you know am I good enough to be doing this mm. ouch yeah and yet you did it I did it you had the courage so tell me about um a moment when you decided, yes, I'm doing this. I'm publishing this. It's scary. I'm going to, as soon as I get above the water, <laughs> as soon as I pop up out of the water, I'll be fine. What was that? I mean, I know my, my impetus for writing my book started with right after a keynote that I gave years ago it was my first big keynote where they flew me out to LA from Montana. And, and I remember stepping off the stage and having a few people come up and say, oh, is your book for sale here at the conference? And I remember thinking, damn, now I have to write a book. <laughs> that was like the first, the first reason. There are other reasons, you know, the, the goal of the book shifted over time. It wasn't just to write a book, but what was yours? What was that? Now that you've collected these stories to find yourself again, to find that beautiful, warm, benevolent for, for the word that you use, benevolent mm-hmm. part of yourself. You you collected these stories, you started writing them. What was the moment where you decided somebody else could find value in this? You know, it's interesting that it's more of a roller coaster for me. So mm-hmm. I would have moments when I would feel that way and then I'd go back down to thinking this is totally insane. Why am I doing this? Do I really want to be in the spotlight at all? Or will uh-huh. I be in the spotlight? Or maybe nobody will buy it. I don't know. And every, was, every author does that, by the way. I don't know any author that hasn't gone through that roller coaster, but keep going. <laughs> so, I mean, I have one, one top point of the roller coaster was when I had uh, a friend of mine take a look at the manuscript once I had revamped it numerous times and I thought it was ready. And his response to it was just, so wonderful. I mean, he gave me some valuable criticisms too. So I had some things to fix in it, but by and large, it was, it was a wonderful review of it that he gave me. He praised it highly. And his, so his words were very encouraging and that made me think uh, I might have something here. What specifically did he say that you took? Because uh, people can say that. I think, honestly, the fact that he gave you some constructive feedback made his um, support of your work way more meaningful. Right. Way more plausible. So I didn't 
I didn't feel like he was just handing me the adult version of a participation trophy. Right, right, exactly. So yeah, the words that made you realize this is. I mean, I, I wish I had it in front of me right now and I can read you exactly what he said because he's, he's also a writer. So he's very eloquent about how he says these things. But he often says that he just likes the way that I turn a phrase. So oh. my voice is just a, a little different. And mm-hmm. I might take something that is just an ordinary thing and turn it into something special. Oh, that kind that of is thing. A beautiful compliment. Because yeah. how many times do you think your stories aren't special? Right, right. Well, because I'm just an average person, which is kind of the, the whole point is that I'm one of the millions of average people out there that could change the world just by being a little kinder every day. You know, it's really us worker bees that can do that. It's not right. the it's not the grand viral gestures gestures that can <laughs> right that it's can make the biggest most right. sustainable difference right it's modeling the behavior we want to see in the world yeah standing and, up for people against yeah. bullies right and then more recently when i was in a point where i was thinking you know this is just stupid what am i doing and I took my mom to the grocery store. Apparently, I spend a lot of time in grocery stores. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I love to eat, so that resonates with me. <laughs> and you know, being kind is something that is just natural for her, hmm. right? So we're walking down the aisles, and I tend to be in my own little bubble. You know, I, I approach it very uh, strategically. I've got my list that's in the order of how I find it, and in the aisles the practicality and, of your grandmother yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> i'm not looking around at what anybody else is doing and 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 she is you know saying hi to people as we walk by or just striking up some some little conversation like she's got the cart to help her walk through the store and so she'll she'll just say things like i haven't hit anybody yet <laughs> self-deprecating <laughs> and, humor yeah and and she'll strike up a conversation with the cashier. Nothing, nothing big, just, you know, just a little light conversation. And she just does it with such ease, right? Mm-hmm. So I thought that's the exact kind of thing that I'm talking about. You know, the, the kind of kindness that no one is going to film and put on social media. It's just everyday behavior in the middle of a grocery store with total strangers. Mm-hmm. And she does it with such ease. So then when I started going to the grocery store after that, I would start to look up and just make eye contact mm-hmm. and s- just smile at somebody or say hi or ask the cashier, how how, how are things going for you today? Mm-hmm. And it was so weird that I know that used to be normal for me, but it isn't anymore. So it just felt awkward. At first. But, Is it better yeah. now? It's better now, but I mean, it felt awkward and unnatural, but yet it still felt really good. Oh, oh and and that, that was so important. Yeah, and that is such an important distinction. Simple little thing that happens on an everyday kind of basis, ordinary stuff that average people do all the time, and it just 
it just made me feel so good to have looked up and connected with somebody for just a moment. Mm. And, and that made me think, you know, this, this book is important. If I can just get it out there, if I can get eyes on it, Mm. it can help somebody. It can. It absolutely can. Oh, that's such a beautiful thought. I'm still stuck with this image of you putting yourself out there in this really uncomfortable way. Yeah. Um, just to, to see if you could. Yeah. To, to make sure that it, it seems to me what I'm hearing is that it was also kind of that I need confirmation that this book can make a difference. And if I am not doing it, if I'm not demonstrating it, the book can't right. either. Right. I can't expect other people to do it if I'm not willing to do it myself. Wow. Yeah. That's I, I love I love this so much. This idea of doing something that feels so uncomfortable and for lack of a better word, inauthentic. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you had gotten to this point where it didn't feel authentic at first because the trying part makes it feel inauthentic, right? Right. The, the trying part, the impact of those stories that we're telling. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the whole idea of you standing in the bathroom to wash your hands and looking in the mirror and seeing yourself that way. I just was talking about this and actually posted about the idea that sometimes the environment really takes us to a different part of our character. And we have to decide at some point if that environment is going to stay and whether we're going to hold on to that aspect of our character. So what you did is you realized the environment, this this idea of being around people who were so miserable that they came across as angry and bitter. And mm-hmm. 2020 was a hard year for so many, and it continues yeah. to be hard for so many. And mm-hmm. looking in the mirror and deciding you're going to change you and therefore change the environment as opposed to a shelter animal that is in an environment, you change the environment and the animal comes mm-hmm. back into alignment with maybe who they should have been in the first place. Right. I'm hoping so. <laughs> yeah, me too. Well, we just got a shelter dog a few days ago. And uh-huh. uh, I named... saw that post on social media. <laughs> well, he is, he's working out pretty well so far. He's um, we named him Jocko for the river in Montana, the Jocko river in Montana, cause he's a lab and he loves the water. Lots of water. Right. And um, yeah, it's, it's kind of amazing how, when we notice we're out of alignment, mm-hmm. we can make a decision. And I think that's the key to your your whole story. Everyone's whole story, but especially your story with your book is mm-hmm. how am I going to change me in order to change the environment? Right. Wow. Right. And there's it's all about uh, really two things for me and uh, perspective and Trust. Trust yeah. in what way? Trust um, Trust in other people. I mean, it's hard mm-hmm. to connect with people if you don't really trust them. And there's a lot of distrust in the world today. Mm-hmm. And I just have to have a little faith that, you know, other people want the same thing that I do. 
that other people mm-hmm. want to get along and, and live in a kinder place. That there's more good than bad. Right. And mm-hmm. and to remember, you know, in this day and age with all the social media stuff, we, we tend to forget that there's a lot of joy and just simplicity and contentment, you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Instead of competing for viral right. attention. Right. And I I think it's really important to acknowledge, too, that we do have more in common than than people tend to believe. And it comes back to that idea that we are multidimensional beings. And Mm -hmm. we see one thing on social media and we decide what that person is like. Yeah. From one thing. That's just wrong. Or even in person. I, I... have been, mm-hmm. I've done that where I mm-hmm. saw somebody um, let their dog do his thing on a neighbor's boulevard and didn't pick up after him. And that was, I, <laughs> I'm like, okay, <laughs> there's a jerk for you. Inconsiderate. I had all these labels uh-huh. for this person. Yeah. And I remember um, I was walking down to work and I turned back around before I left the block. So before I turned and I saw him getting a bag and bringing it outside. Like he just had, didn't have a bag with him. I so here I had, I had this whole story about what kind of person he is mm-hmm. from this one incident that I didn't even see the whole thing right away. Right. Yeah. It, it takes more information and, and better perspectives. Yeah. And knowing that sometimes we're that person. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's not. Yeah, I just, I just. It was just. It was quite uh, shocking for me to realize that it wasn't just the people on the other side of my property lines that had yeah. the problem. That I was part of the societal problem, and I can't change the world, but yeah. I can change what's right in front of me. Mm. In my little air. piece of the world. Yeah. Oh, and that's Tammy, a lot more. Doable. I love that. <laughs> it is that it's the only thing that's possible is to right. adjust your own behavior. Yeah. And other people notice mm-hmm. is the thing. I don't know if we've gone over our time or not, but, <laughs> <laughs> but that was something. And again, in the grocery store, when I started looking up and just seeing the other people walking by and I saw how they reacted to how mom and I interacted with each other right and it's like for a moment you could just see on their faces that they would soften a little bit yes you know yes and that door just open there's just a crack there yeah and even though we were probably in their way and slowing them down because we don't move fast when mom (laughs) is in the grocery store right right but for a moment there they just saw us helping each other and just being in this real moment with each other. And it just made them maybe just soften and mm-hmm. and look up just like yeah. I was looking at. And we just yes. need to do that more. I need to do that more. We do. We, we all do. Mm-hmm. Tammy, tell me, uh, tell the listeners, please, how to find your book. What's the title? How do they follow you so that they can okay. learn more about who you are? Because I know... Learning about the author makes me enjoy the book differently. Mm-hmm, right. Well, um, here's the book. It's called Walking Old Roads, 
and mm-hmm. it is on Amazon.com. And you can also find links um, to Amazon on my website, which is TammyHader.com. That's T-A-M-M-Y-H-A-D-E-R.com. And you'll find links to that. And I also have a couple of stories in Teresa Velarde's compilation book, The Daily Gift of Gratitude. And there are links to that as well. Um, And other writings that I have, I do some essay writing for some online magazine type things. Mm -hmm. And those are on my website as well. Links to social media are there. Excellent. One-stop shop. Yes. For listeners, don't worry about pausing and writing everything down. All of this information will be in the show notes associated with this podcast at elkinsconsulting.com. Tammy, thank you so much for joining me. This has been an absolute pleasure. I've had so much fun. Thank you. Listeners, now it's your turn. Time to look in the mirror. It's time to look up and do that thing that's uncomfortable for you. Model what you want to see in the world. Remember that when you put something out there, whether it's on social media or in person, you are sending signals about what kind of person you are, whether you're a loving and kind person or whether you're a person who's judgmental and hateful. So pay attention because this is your legacy. Thanks for listening. Smile, what's the use of crying? You'll find that life is still worthwhile if you just smile.